welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I'm your host, Izzy Wood, the editorial assistant of Drug Target Review. In this episode, we will be discussing scaling up organoids, and I'm joined today by Vicky Marsh-Durban, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Celeste Limited. Also joining us today is Magdalena Kassenja, who is the Director of Research and Development at Centre for Stem Cell and Organoid Medicine. But before we start, let's hear from our sponsors, Molecular Devices. This podcast is brought to you by Molecular Devices. With its innovative life science technology, Molecular Devices makes scientific breakthroughs possible for academic, pharmaceutical, government, and biotech customers. Head to moleculardevices.com to find out more. Perfect. Let's get into it. It's great to have you both here today, and I'm excited to begin this discussion. But before we do so, I think it'll be great to hear a bit about your backgrounds. Hi, everyone. So uh, my name is Vicky Marsh-Durban. I'm Chief Executive Officer of Celeste Limited. Uh, I've been with Celeste for about three years. um, And prior to that, I've got a long history in academic research. So primarily actually working in animal models of disease and all the benefits and pitfalls that, that go with working in in vivo systems. So I've been with Celeste for about three years and actually Celeste was recently acquired by Molecular Devices. So I'm actually now part of the Molecular Devices family and very excited to bring the synergistic technologies of the Celeste organoid expansion process and what Molecular Devices are doing in terms of workflow automation and imaging and instrumentation together to really give a new solution for customers around their organoid biology workflows. Thank you, Vicky. And over to you, Magdalena. Hello, I'm Magdalena Cassandra. I'm currently a director of uh, research and development at the Center for Stem Cell Organoid Medicine at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And similarly to Vicky, previously I was working in basic research in academia, but after that I also joined a biotech company called Emulate, which was commercializing uh, the organ on chip uh, technology. So in my career, I've been working really a lot with the stem cells, organoids, and, and various types of bioengineering approaches that can be potentially used across a variety of different disciplines and applications, drug discovery and development, as well as uh, personalized medicine applications and stem cell therapies. Happy to be here. It's great to have you both. So our episode today is about scaling up organoids. And my first question for you guys is, what does the process of scaling up organoids require? Sure. So obviously, you know, everyone is really keen to work with organoid systems because I think everyone recognises that TD cell lines are not adequate and are not really representative of, of human, the human environment or human systems. Clearly, a requirement to be able to move into three-dimensional systems is to actually be able to produce them. And you would need to produce them at scale in order to access applications such as high-throughput screening. So in terms of scaling up organoids, again, depending on what your starting material is, so typically you would derive organoids either from iPSCs or from adult stem cells, which would come from primary tissue samples. Clearly, you first would need to be able to access that primary tissue sample. And then typically there's some manual process involved in terms of establishing that cell line or that organoid line into culture and getting the conditions set up and optimized before you then go through the process, which again is typically very manual at the moment, of expanding those cultures. And again, part of what the the Celeste technology brings in terms of scaling up is around the use of bioprocess design and bioreactors in order to produce organoids in large scale, so much larger scale than you could achieve realistically simply through manual culture. And again, 
you know, I think Celeste is not necessarily unique in this space in terms of the attempt to scale up organoids. Celeste is really focused on adult stem cell derived organoids and organoids which grow in hydrogel matrices, for example, matrigel. But for sure, there are other methods around of being able to scale up organoids and organoid culture. And I will let Magdalena comment on scaling up iPSC derived organoids, since that is her area of expertise. So definitely in addition to access to the material that uh, that Vicky just mentioned, I think that there are different technical challenges and, and really a high level of technical expertise is really required in order to able to achieve that. The establishment and maintenance of organoids uh, requires specific protocols that can be technically challenging and also time consuming. Just as an example, on average, it takes us around six months uh, to train and new stem cell scientists to be able to just grow and differentiate cells successfully. In addition, the interpretation analysis of stem cell culture and differentiation experiments uh, requires what we like to call an expert eye, a high level of expertise and experience that it's just hard to sometimes replace by automated or high throughput methods. While automated approaches can increase efficiency and reduce variability in certain aspects of research uh, that we are performing, such as sample preparation of data acquisition, and the complexity and variability of the stem cell behavior and just simply their differentiation process uh, requires a very careful observation and interpretation uh, of the data or the phenotypic morphological changes that usually experienced scientists know how to do after the years of of doing that, just to ensure accurate, meaningful uh, results to be derived from that. Uh, So I think that uh, having said that, of course, uh, right now, the progress of artificial intelligence and deep learning is bringing new ways to approach those challenges. And uh, we at the Center for Steps and Organoid Medicine in Cincinnati Children are also implementing uh, this type of methods into our high throughput approaches. Still, a lot needs to be innovative <laughs> and definitely a lot of this knowledge and, and skills needs to be transferred from experience labs or suppliers, developers uh, to the basic biology labs. Exactly. And just to add on to that, I mean, the last thing we want to do when we're trying to scale up the culture of organoids is to destroy the model, right? So um, again, playing to what Magdalena just said about having that expert eye, you need you, you really need some expertise around being able to look at the organoids, you know, understanding if they are behaving as you would expect them to, as the line has always behaved historically. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's no point in making lots and lots of cells, which then lose all of the benefits of the fact that they're a great model and that they're representative of the original patient tissue because you've done something along the process that has forced them away from being representative. So that that level of expertise is is really important. And as as Magdalena just said, employing, you know, AI and machine learning to help with that process and to help take out some of that subjectivity has been shown to be really helpful in in recent times. Thank you. Whilst we're on the subject of challenges around these processes, what would you say some of the different challenges concerning iPSCs are compared to adult stem cells? I think that in the case of the organoids that are generated from the pluripotent stem cells, it's really the process itself that it's a multi-step differentiation process that mimics the subsequent stages of embryonic development. So, for example, in the case of the adult stem cells, they are isolated from the biopsies, from the human primary tissue. And if you isolate them and put them in vitro environment that recapitulate this in vivo niche, so, for example, you provide them with the uh, specific mix of the uh, growth factors uh, inducing their differentiation and also extracellular matrix 
they propagate in this type of environment. So it's pretty simple, if you wish, if you can can call organoid uh, research simple, in comparison at least to the induced pluripotent stem cells. In, in the case of the pluripotent stem cells, we actually need to recapitulate the embryonic development in vitro. What does it mean? It means that basically in the lab dish, we mimic via the introduction of subsequently different growth factors that mimic a specification of various cell lineages uh, in vivo, the differentiation process that naturally uh, would occur in human embryo. Through that, we have advantage of being able to differentiate multiple different tissue types within one organoid culture, which in contrast, for example, to adult stem cells derived models, which are uh, usually just uh, representing the epithelial tissue, for example, in human intestinal organoids uh, derived from primary tissue biopsies, you, you only have this epithelial component unless you're going to add uh, externally mesenheim. In the case of the this multi-step differentiation protocol that we use uh, for the induced protein stem cells, uh, we can co-derive mesenheim and epithelium within one organoid structure, uh, creating much complex tissue. But of course, uh, that adds complexity, that, that, and that adds time, and that adds up the expertise level of the scientists that you need to train and do to be able to really successfully differentiate those cells in vitro. So I guess just to add to the view on on adult stem cells, I mean, you know, (laughs) I had to smile when Magdalena said adult stem cell derived organoids are more simple. I mean, in some respects, yes, they are. Again, they have that innate program that's forcing them to differentiate down the correct path. You don't need to guide that in any way. So there are certainly less issues in terms of getting spontaneous differentiation or sort of differentiation down a lineage that you, you're not aiming for, or that you don't want your cultures to go down. So that for sure is less of a consideration. I mean, I would also say though that, you know, adult stem cell derived organoids, the culture process at the moment for most labs and for most researchers working with organoids is still highly manual and a highly skilled process. You're stuck with culturing your organoids in matrix and in matrix all the time. So there is normally no 2D cell culture step when you're working with adult stem cell derived organoids. So you're culturing in 3D for the entire time. So you've got no opportunity to be able to scale up your cultures in 2D. Everything has to be done in 3D and in hydrogels. So that's really a sort of a significant limitation or difficulty. But obviously, this is something that is being solved at the moment through, you know, automation of processes and also development of bioprocesses to be able to scale up in that 3D sort of hydrogel environment. So I think there's different challenges with each system at different stages. One of the main challenges as well with adult stem cell derived organisms is finding that source material. So, you know, finding suitable either primary patient biopsy material or existing organoid lines. Again, a lot of organoid research at the moment is still done within academic labs around the world. And most organoid lines are originally derived in academic labs around the world. And, you know, there's varying levels of sort of, you know, ethical and IRB approvals that are in place that will allow subsequent commercialization of models. So they're great to be derived in in academic research for use in academic research, for use in the not-for-profit environment. But again, trying to translate those models then into the commercial environment to get them in the hands of, you know, pharmaceutical developers, pharmaceutical drug developers, biotechs, you know, that's much more challenging because the sort of consideration hasn't been put in in the first place around, you know, making sure that the ethical consent is in place to eventually allow that and to allow the sort of transfer and the commercialization of those lines. So that for sure is a, is a bit of a challenge. 
The other thing I'd say with adult stem cell derived lines is actually lines can be quite different. So you really need to optimize your processes on a, effectively, in most cases, a line by line basis because the behavior of each line is a little bit different. And again, depending on what the source tissue type is or whether it's from a cancer, you know, what specific cancer it's from, what specific subtype of cancer it's from, the protocols can be quite different. So, you know, there's quite a lot of expertise that needs to be gained in order to make sure that you're culturing the line appropriately and that you're not driving some sort of phenotype within the line that you're not intending to. So again, it's just being careful that you're not doing anything that's going to stress the line to drive it down a pathway or drive some sort of, you know, clonal selection within your cultural population that you're not intending to. And let's take a look on the flip side and discuss some of the advantages of scaling up organoids. So one of the advantages is definitely making them more amendable to industry standards and regulatory standards uh, so as they can be readily applied into uh, drug discovery and development or personalized medicine applications, or even all the way toward the clinical application of them as stem cell therapies. And and I guess from my point of view, I think in terms of the specific advantages of, you know, really scaling up and generating organoids at high scale is obviously, you know, making large batches of organoids means that you can do much larger experiments. So if you want to go into, you know, medium or high throughput assays, you're clearly going to need a lot of organoids for that type of application. But even if you're just doing sort of small assays or low throughput assays, you know, it's really handy to be able to have a batch of organoids that you can go back to again and again. And you know that you're always going back to the same passage number, organoids that were grown in the same components, the same conditions. And it just helps with that data reproducibility to be able to go back to that same batch time and time again. Particularly one of the challenges in growing organoids is that a lot of the reagents that are used in organoid culture are still animal derived, for example, matrigel, or can be of sort of variable origin. So for example, use of conditioned media that people have made themselves in the lab, or you know, use of specific growth factors that maybe there's still batch to batch variability in. So there's some, you know, real benefits to being able to produce a large batch of organoids using the same reagents that again you go back to and you go back to that same batch that's been cultured in exactly the same way on the same day with the same reagent, same pass number by the same operator and you know that's that really helps to assist with data reproducibility in subsequent assays. And what are some of the alternative approaches to scaling up organoids? So I think yeah another alternative approach to the scale up is really the use of the bioreactors and I think historically at least in the case of the induced pluripotent stem cells uh, people in the field have been using spinning flask or uh, other type of uh, of bioreactors that enable you uh, to basically aggregate the cells in the media and increase basically their expansion through subsequent passages of, of those aggregates, right? There is, however, a challenge in it as you are changing uh, the environmental conditions in which uh, you are growing the cells. Usually, as you may recall from what Vicky previously has said, organoids are being grown in this three-dimensional matrix, basement membrane, usually matrigel, in which they are not subject to any mechanical stimulation. Uh, once you put them in the suspension culture in, in, in some kind of, of bioreactor, uh, they are exposed to the shear stress. And the shear stress can positively or negatively <laughs> impact their uh, differentiation of, and growth. So it is known that, uh, for example, a low level of shear stress can actually enhance differentiation of induced pluripotent stem cells into specific cell types, such as, for example, endothelial cells or cardiomyocytes. But uh, on the other hand, a high level of shear stress can actually lead to cell damage and death. 
all the change in the gene expression that may lead to misdifferentiation or differentiation to basically uh, cell types that, that you don't expect or, or didn't plan to differentiate them toward. Therefore, it's really critical to optimize the level of and the duration of the shear stress that you're going to expose your cells to in order to uh, really achieve the desired differentiation outcomes. And you can do that by simply uh, increasing or decreasing the speed of rotation, or uh, you can potentially also uh, explore the, the use of the shear-free bioreactors that uh, recently also became available and therefore eliminate the presence of the shear stress at all. Uh, so I think, you know, there are multiple different uh, strategies that one can take, and it's really dependent on what your specific organoid model require or what, what your specific environmental conditions are the most optimal for the growth and differentiation process that you are trying to mimic. And I guess just to add the view from the sort of adult stem cell-derived organoid side of things, you know, as we talked about earlier, there's sort of less concern with adult stem cell-derived organoids that they're going to sort of spontaneously differentiate down a different pathway. So from, from that point of view, the sheer stress on the cells themselves is probably less of a concern because they're not necessarily going to, to start differentiating down a different pathway, so unlike IPSCs. However, with adult stem cell-derived organoids, obviously you generally are tied to growing them in matrix gel, and obviously that is a different challenge from a bioreactor point of view because you've got you know, your cells that are in a solid phase within the bioreactor, plus you also need media in a liquid phase, so you're trying to juggle sort of having both solid phase and liquid phase in a bioreactor, which obviously if you're doing 2D cell culture scale up you generally don't need to worry about that because you know you've either got your cells that are growing in suspension or they're growing on some sort of solid carrier or or plastic service surface um and so you know traditional bioreactor systems are geared towards those types of of 2d cell lines that are growing either on on a carrier or in fully in suspension so clearly there you know this is part of the challenge that we've solved in terms of the bioreactor design that that we're using it's been able to manage matrigel and obviously or any other hydrogel typically hydrogels that cells like are very soft so again that that produces another challenge because you know the matrix can be broken down quite easily so again you know thinking about the the stresses in a standard type of bioreactors that sort of design is just not compatible with with a hydrogel how are 3d organoids more predictive than 2d I mean, if you're comparing to sort of two-dimensional cell lines, you know, I think there's quite a lot of evidence in the literature out there at the moment. There was a paper back in 2018 that formally showed that adult stem cell-derived organoids in 3D are more predictive of patient response, certainly than 2D cell lines. There's subsequent papers that have shown that the use of organoids within the drug discovery pipeline can reduce the time to the clinic because they're providing more appropriate data, helping to weed out those, you know, candidates that are that are not useful earlier on in the process. So it's this concept of, you know, fail fast. You know, if you've got a, a drug compound that you don't want to carry forward within your experiments, then it's better that that fails early rather than fails, you know, right at the at phase one clinical trials. It's getting rid of those compounds that are just not going to be effective in patients. So yeah, overall, you know, 3D organoids are really around that sort of predictiveness, the sort of predictive and faithful component of them in terms of how they model the, the tissue architecture, the, t- the cell-cell interactions within the tissue. You know, they really give you so much more information and a much more close to human model than 2D cell lines would give you. And in addition to this more physiological more physiological relevance, uh, they are also patient-specific. So organ rates can be derived from patient-specific cells, allowing us to create disease models that closely resemble genetic makeup and phenotypic characteristics of specific individuals. And therefore, uh, we can use them for 
personalized medicine strategies or in order to develop tailored therapies for you know, specific individuals. And the final thing that I'd add is that obviously there's also really strong regulatory drive to be moving away from animal models and moving into more complex in vitro models. So, for example, there was the FDA Modernization Act that was published last year, which is really, you know, putting a flag in the ground and indicating where people need to move to with their drug development pipelines and their testing. You know, there's a real drive to move away from animal models for obviously ethical reasons and move much more into sort of complex 3D in vitro systems that give you, you know, much more relevant data and much reduced use of animals and through those systems. Vicky, you were speaking earlier about some of the challenges around reagents and how these compromise quality and consistency whilst also having adverse effects on data acquisition. Could you elaborate a bit more on this for me? Yeah, sure. So again, I think, as I mentioned, a lot of the media components that people are using and especially the matrigel that's used for organoid culture there is still significant batch to batch variability again many of these components are derived from animals or they're derived in sort of small scale experiments where people are producing conditioned media for example on their own and so obviously all of those reagents put together mean that every time you grow organoids you're going to be using very slightly different combinations of reagents you know there's no sort of big standardization around exactly even if you're using growth factors, you know, there's batch-to-batch variability with growth factors, although, you know, there are efforts around to, to improve this. So, and from my point of view, I think one of the biggest sources of variability is going to be the animal-derived hydrogel that you're using, because again, there is lot to lot variability and there's, you know, it's not unmanageable variability, but there is nonetheless some variability and obviously lines are going to grow slightly differently in different lots of hydrogel. So, there's for sure challenges around what individual labs are using, what you're using on an individual experiment, on an individual expansion. And all of this, unfortunately, contributes to the issues of, of variability in organoid culture. So I think things are moving in the right direction in that sense, in terms of the fact that there are more and more, you know, standardised kits that are coming out for culture of different types of organoids. And there's efforts to develop synthetic hydrogels that organoids can grow on. And so, you know, there's, there's lots of activity in the space around improving this. Magdalena, would you like to add anything? This high heterogeneity of organoid culture, it's due to, as as Vicky mentioned, variability in in different reagents that we are using, but also it's often just inherent to the stochastic nature of this platform as the in vitro self-assembly and differentiation process, it's just very stochastic. So it it results in the organoids of uh, different size, different formation efficiency. They also, the, the location within the hydrogel dome also varies in between different wells. And they also differ in the adipoid morphology and function that, of course, all of that uh, represent quite a, a big challenge of really uh, translating the use of them into the, the, the pharma, into the drug discovery and development processes or into the clinic. Therefore, I think it's it's really the combination of various technologies and solutions that will be needed in order to decrease this inherent variability of organoid cultures. And for example, CASTEM, what we are doing is to utilize uh, stem cell aggregation methods so, for example, recently there are different matrices, different different uh, microcavity arrays that have been developed uh, that can uh, improve uh, the uniformity of organoid production, for example, across uh, different wells of the 96 or 384 well plates. In addition, as, as Vicky mentioned, the use of synthetic hydrogels 
or uh, different types of gel-free methods that potentially also decrease the variability that we and of course implementation of automation that uh, really replicates our manual uh, protocols but makes them not only uh, more efficient uh, with the higher throughput but also free of any potential human errors. So whilst on the subject of these challenges, some of the current automated solutions can be seen as rather complicated and expensive. So in your opinion, what are some good solutions for the issues we have spoken about today? I think the cost is going to remain what it is. <laughs> However, what I think is a challenge for us, at least, it's not really the cost, but bringing in into the basic research labs or into our center and expertise that's really required in order to be able to develop those protocols. Because yes, the automation is prone to help uh, with moving your protocols from the manual to automated, but it doesn't come uh, with you know an easy plug and play type of application nodes or methods that you just push on a button and, and then it just makes what you would like it to do, right? So I think you really need to build in within your lab's core capabilities around uh, IT, around engineering, software engineering, as well as hardware engineering, programming, and so on and so forth in order to be able to independently build those processes unless uh, you are open for collaboration. So in our case, for example, we have chosen to partner with uh, some of those suppliers, some of those companies uh, who bring in a complementary expertise uh, that we are missing, what helps us to really accelerate this development. I think, yeah, as I say, from, from my point of view, for example, in the, the bioprocess that we've developed, it's been quite challenging to find staff that have the expertise both in the organoid biology and the biological side of things, as well as the engineering skill set that's needed in order to develop bioprocesses for this particular application. And I think the same really applies in terms of automation workflows. So again, it's it's a whole different skill set that you wouldn't maybe necessarily find find together in, in one person. So it's about building those teams, building those collaborations and really getting towards, you know, making a solution that gives you sort of an end-to-end workflow for, for the whole process. So yeah, completely with what Magdalena said in terms of the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to get all of this, all of this expertise in one place and one location to really build that entire workflow and build that entire process. Great. And I think that's a positive note to conclude on today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for in today's discussion. But thank you so much to Vicky and Magdalena for joining me on today's podcast and making some great points. It's been fantastic to speak with you both. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this Drug Target Review podcast sponsored by Molecular Devices. I've been Izzy Wood, the editorial assistant at Drug Target Review. Make sure you keep an eye out for the next episode coming out very soon. 